Check. Oh, there I am. All right. Yeah. Wow. All right. I thought it turned off again. I don't know. So you ever have one of those weeks where your mic doesn't work? No. Uh, but like, you ever have one of those weeks where it's Monday? <laughs> All right. In and out. Work it. So, pack three, pack three, oh, coming in hot, here we go. We're going to have to pray again because I'm going to need it here in a minute. All right, how's that? Am I on? Okay, we'll see if it lasts. All right, so if you had that week where it's Monday, right, and it's like yeah, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And you're like, oh my gosh, could it get any worse, right? This couldn't have been a better opening for this sermon, I'm just saying. But you're like, everything that could go wrong is wrong. My week feels like it's falling apart. And you look at the clock, and it's like 10 a.m. Monday morning. And you're like, oh my gosh, I still have five whole days to get through, right? And you wonder, how's it going to happen? That, well, for us, that, that week was this week. And that morning was not Monday, at least it was Wednesday, uh, and so it's been a busy week. We had a lot going on. We had our, like our church, it's they, you guys call it a member's meal. It's a church business meeting, but it's like the most fun one you've ever been to. So on Friday night, we've got that to get ready for. I got a sermon to write. There's a snowstorm coming, so I've got to make sure that I get it home and get the, uh, everything shoveled and out and it looks good and all that. And I'm running late to the gym Wednesday morning. I get in the car, it's already running. Just as a, a general tip, you should not start the car before your garage door is up. I hit the garage door button, and it goes eh, and stops six inches up. Now, I don't know how you respond when things like this happen, but I'm wound a little tight. So my first thing is just hit the accelerator and go through the door, right? It'll be okay. We'll figure it out. Like, I'm, it just sets me over the edge. I don't like it when these. So I hit the button down. Garage door closes. Car still running. Garage door closes. Hit it again, up. Maybe it's my remote. So I, I turn the car off, I get out of the car, I push the button, nothing. All right, so now I, um, if you would ask my 13-year-old, he would tell you, dad was really, really angry. And he would probably not be exaggerating. So, but thank goodness, called the garage door company, called the door doctor, had no clue Chip Wilmot was gonna show up at my house. But if you need garage door help, call Chip, he's great, he got it fixed. And uh, life went on, right? But in those moments of what else could go wrong, because we're just rushing from one thing to the next, we keep moving from one thing to the next, and my guess is I'm not the only one here today who runs at that pace of life, who doesn't even know what you're missing, because life's going so fast. Stephen Covey calls it the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever's right in front of me, I've got to do because I've got four more things right back to back of that. And I am just clicking off those things. And then we don't even really rest well in our downtime, right? We get a few minutes, and this is just pull the veil back if you want to know what my life's like, right? We, we get a few minutes to relax, and what's the first thing we do? Pull out our phones. I got to scroll. What did everybody post on social media today that is so great? I've got to see all their pictures. Or maybe you, if rest for you is you just turn on the video games and you start playing video games and you disappear into this like 
different universe? Or maybe, maybe you have come to the point of your busyness of life that rest for you is the five minutes that you arrive early to pick up your kids from sports practice or band practice or play practice, and that's rest. Or we turn on the TV and binge watch Netflix. Now, I don't know about you, but when I engage in those forms of rest, the truth is by the end of it, I'm just exhausted. And maybe even more tired than I was when I began. So what is rest? How do we do it? How do I experience it? And what does it speak into my life? And why does it matter? The, he, the author of Hebrews kind of unpacks this in Hebrews chapter 4. So, uh, and as we read this passage, I hope this is what you take home today. Jesus offers rest that will change our lives forever. As we unpack Hebrews chapter 4, I hope that we see and we kind of get a chance to understand Jesus offers a rest that will change our lives forever. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. It's going to be easier to find Hebrews if you start at the back and work your way forward. Get through James, you're there. Uh, you go past James, you'll be in Hebrews, go too far forward, keep going back. Or if you've got your phones, you can find it on version. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, though, is really a sequel to Hebrews chapter 3. And maybe a little less than a sequel, it's more like the end game to last week's Infinity War for those uh, Avengers fans. So it's like part two. If you didn't catch chapter 3, you can go back and watch it online. Uh, and I'll give you a quick summary so you're all caught up here in just a minute. But it's also one of those texts that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. It makes us kind of squirm in our seat a little bit because we're like, okay, that was uncomfortable. Those words weren't quite as comforting as what I'm used to hearing or what I wanted to hear. And so I want you to allow those words to speak into you today. They are words of challenge, but they're not words of condemnation. And I think that's the difference. They're words meant to challenge us and challenge how we see life and faith. They're not meant to be words that condemn us. So before we get too far down and we jump into Hebrews 4, remember we're in this greatest of all time series where we're looking at Jesus as the greatest of all time. In week one, we looked at Jesus as the greatest savior of all time. Last week, we looked at him as the greatest hero of all time. And today, we're going to look at Jesus provides the greatest rest of all time. And so I told you Hebrews 3 is like the prequel to this this. Hebrews 4. So the big thing you need to remember, if you were here last week, you remember we took a look back at Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers is a book we read all the time. It's super, you can just go there and take a look at it. But in that, the Israelites have come out of slavery in Egypt, across the desert, and they're at the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to walk into the promised land. It's the land that God has given them. It's going to be great. They send 12 spies in. Ten of them go in. Well, they all go in, they all come back out, and ten of them are like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's so great. It's, we should definitely not go because there are giants that live there, and they will kill us. And God cannot defeat the giants, so we should stay here. And their grand scheme, these ten leaders, their grand scheme is to convince the Israelites that they need to kill Moses, pick a new leader who will lead them back to slavery. Right? That's where their life has come to. Slavery is better than being here. So let's go back. And then these two other spies, Joshua and Caleb, speak up, and they're like, hey, listen, I, 
I hear their perspective. Remember what God's done? Remember how God has provided for us? Remember the work that God has done getting us here? We think God will give us that land. We should go in. The Israelites, yeah, yeah, 10 to 2, you're outvoted. We're moving on. And so God gets angry with the Israelites, and he's like, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses is like, wait, wait, time out. God, you can't do that. Everybody knows that you're their God. Don't do that. Have grace. You said you were slow to anger. And God does this thing that seems like, wait, did God change his mind? And so he decides not to wipe them out. But he does say you'll never enter the promised land. So this generation will never enter. And then um, you're going to go wander through the desert. And that's where we left last week. And the author keeps quoting these verses from Psalm 95, the second half of that, which we read, which Kyle read at the beginning of our service today. So that's where we're at. Take a look now. Hebrews chapter 4, that's a lot of background. Let's get into our text for today. Hebrews 4.1. And it says this, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. All right, so let's unpack that. Lots of rest in there. And keep in mind, our bottom line, our main thought is Jesus offers a rest that will change our lives. And I think Jesus does that by offering us three invitations. And the first is an invitation to a journey of faith. Take a look again with me real quick at Hebrews chapter 4, verse just 1 and 2. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good. Because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Right? This is one of those warnings. It seems to stand in stark contrast to this message of love that God is loving and accepting and God will just love us no matter what. These warnings aren't meant as judgment, but they are meant to force us and to provide opportunities for us to reflect back on our lives. 
and to see what our relationship with Jesus really looks like and how we're growing in that relationship. You see, as a church, we say we exist to help people take their next step towards Jesus. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to pause and reflect on where we are in faith right now. I like to think about my journey of faith as a hike. And if you ever go out on a hike, you start on the trail and you just start walking. And for the most part, you follow the trail. Depending on how technical or how difficult the trail is, you can just follow the trail. But every once in a while in the midst of that hike, two trails will come together or maybe three or four and you have to pause for a minute. And you have to stop and reflect on where am I? And where do I wanna go? Maybe you need to pull out the map. Or if you're really good, maybe you pull out a compass and you can figure out where north is. That's beyond my skill set. I pull out the map and I trust the trails are marked really well. Right? But we have to stop and look at that. And that's what this warning is an invitation to do. You see, God is simply reminding us that Jesus has invited us on a journey of faith. And the first thing he reminds us is God's rest is still available. The rest that the Israelites missed out on going into the promised land is still available. It's not a one and done rest. It's a rest that's still available to us today that God wants to provide for us if we'll listen. But the second thing he reminds us about is the part we really have to take a look at. And that is hearing does not equal belief. Belief equals actions. You see, and that's where the Israelites, as they sat on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in, they'd seen God do all of these amazing things. But they lacked the belief that he would do it again. Now, I'm sure if you ask them, they would say, oh yeah, God could give us that land. But when given the chance to go into the land or go back to slavery, they chose to go back to slavery. You see, our actions have to line up to our beliefs. Michael Novak in his book, Belief and Unbelief, says there's three different types of convictions that everybody has. The first one is our public conviction. And that's what we say we believe. For the Israelites, they would have believed that they were God's chosen people, that God was with them, and they would have told people that. But we can say all the things we want to say. You can tell all your friends all you want about what you believe. But do your actions match those beliefs? Does your Google Calendar align with those beliefs? And then there's private convictions. That's what we think we believe. That's what we tell ourselves we believe. But I think I believe this. But again, we find out if we really believe it or not, if we look at the ways we're living. The third is our core convictions, and that's what we actually believe. That's what our behaviors and our lives model that we believe. So let me give you a real clear example of this. I would tell you, this is a real story, I would tell you that I believe we should care for the poor. 
that God's word says we should care for the poor, that God has blessed us so we could be a blessing to other people. We should care for the poor. I think I can't give my money just cash to people because I don't know how they're going to spend it, right? So my conviction then is instead of handing you money, if you're hungry, I'll take you to a restaurant. Somebody comes up, when we were in Minneapolis, somebody walks up and says, hey, do you have money for food? My immediate answer was no, but there's, and I'd look around and figure out what restaurants were around that I could take them and buy them dinner at. Right, so that's how they align. But what happens when we get a little askew? So my son, Josiah, has heard, had heard me say this a lot, and he was eight or nine years old at the time. And he goes, Dad, I've heard you talk about that a lot, that you don't give cash, but that you'll buy buy people dinner, but I've never seen you buy anyone dinner. Oh, that hurts, right? That hits you right here. Does what we say we believe, does what we think we believe, actually match the way we live our lives? You see, in this journey of faith, part of this journey is learning to match what we think and say we believe to our actions to match what we read in scripture to what we know God has told us we're supposed to do, to actually the way we spend our time, to the way we spend our money, to the way we invest in relationships with other people. Believing is not simply checking a box and moving on. Faith isn't simply knowing who Jesus is. James says in his letter that even the demons know that and shudder. Because of who Jesus is, how do we live in response to that? You see, biblical faith is loyal, active trust in our Savior. Loyal, active trust in our Savior. Not perfection. We're not trying to be perfect. We're not trying to never make a mistake. But as we journey with Jesus, are we growing? Are we becoming more like him? You see, the truth is we're living in a wilderness much like the Israelites were. If you've chosen to follow Jesus as your Savior, Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, he walked out of the grave. We've chosen to follow, and we're sitting waiting for him to come back, waiting for when he'll return. And in the middle, we're living in this in-between, and this in-between isn't always easy. But how in the middle of the in-between are we growing to be more like him? That's the invitation, to come on this journey and to continue to grow. But it's not just an invitation to a journey of faith. It's an invitation to rest. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 3 this time and read pretty much the rest of that chunk we read earlier. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said in my anger, I took an oath, they'll never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it's ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. 
God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Okay, so if you are here two weeks ago, you heard Chase say this. Hebrews is going to be one of the hardest, hardest books of the Bible to like walk through, right? And if I'm honest... Chase and Dan both came up to me after I said, hey, we're going to do Hebrews after the first of the year. And they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? That's a tough book to preach through. Are you sure that's the book you want to be the first book you walk through as the lead pastor here? And I was like, it's the word of God. It'll be great. It'll be super easy. It's the word of God. We're supposed to read the whole thing. Yes, we'll walk through it. Now, don't tell them I said this, but I kind of wish I'd listened. This is one of those texts when you're like, what in the world is he talking about, right? He actually takes the author of Hebrews, he knows the Old Testament so well. He just pulls different places of it, and he takes three different types of rest and brings them all together, and he's like, you guys figure that out. So we're left to read this letter with all these different meanings of the word rest. And it gets really confusing. So here's my best shot at it. First, in the Old Testament, for the Hebrew people, rest is the promised land. Rest is the land that God had promised them. Now we look at that and we go, oh, seriously, how, bad, how much rest could they need? I want you to think for a minute. Imagine you were an Israelite. You've come out of slavery in Egypt, gone to the promised land. Your parents disobeyed, so now you get to go back. Parents, just imagine this. Right, You're out in the wilderness wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Now, my family went on vacation to Phoenix, Arizona last spring. After 45 minutes in the desert, my kids are like, when do we get to go back to the car? Right? They're out there for 40 years. Can you imagine how many times, mom, are we there yet? Dad, how much longer? Right? You can just picture this. But then imagine as the kids begin to grow. They're still in the desert. They're still wandering. The truth is each and every one of those people who enters the promised land buried their mom and dad in that desert. They said goodbye to their grandparents in that desert. Think about how worn your clothing would be after 40 years in a desert. And what a relief it would be to know that today you are going to walk into that land, into that place of rest, into that place that God has provided. And yet that's not the ultimate rest. You see, God's rest was never meant just for one people. God's rest is meant for everyone. I mean, if that was the ultimate rest, when Joshua leads them in, why is David, centuries later, still talking about God's rest? Right? That's what the author said. He said, listen, if that rest was all there was, why is David still talking about rest? There's got to be a different one. And then he mixes in Sabbath rest, which comes from creation. Right? So if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates. It's this beautiful poem of the way God created the heavens and the earth. And it says at every one of those, 
there was morning and there was evening on the second day. And there was morning and there was evening on the third day until the seventh day. At six, God looks over his whole creation and he says, everything I've created is very good. And on the seventh day, it just says, and God rested. There is no end to the seventh day. It never says, and the seventh day ended. The seventh day continues. And the goal I believe in that is that God wanted to be a place of rest for his people. You see it in the law that he gives them as they wander through. We're going to the ever popular book of Leviticus. So if you're just looking for really enlightening reading on a Sunday afternoon, go read Leviticus. But Leviticus 16 says this. On the 10th day of the appointed month in early autumn, you must deny yourselves. Neither native-born Israelite nor foreigner living among you may do any kind of work. Did you catch that? The rest is not just for the Israelites. It's for everyone. This is a permanent law for you. On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. This is a permanent law for you. God says, listen, I want you to rest, and I'm going to make sure you do. I'll set up a day where you come and you confess. You bring your sacrifice. What I want you to do is feel my rest. I want you to feel me lift the burden of the weight of the guilt and the sin and the shame that you've been holding. And one day I want you to rest. But the truth is, the Israelites and us couldn't maintain that. We couldn't follow the law enough. We couldn't do good enough. And so God offers a different kind of rest. And actually, if you're reading Hebrews, the word changes. The Greek word in the Hebrew changes at verse 9. And I don't talk about Greek real much because very much because I didn't do really well in Greek. I barely get the English language most of the time. And so Greek gets even tougher. But this word changes. I'm going to tell you this. It's probably not pronounced right, but it's easy to remember. It sounds like hippopotamus, right? But it's Sabbath. Sabbath, Sabamos. Now I can't even get it right. I just totally blew it. That was great. It came out good at nine o'clock. Go home and watch that service. <laughs> Our rest is a trusting relationship with Jesus. It gives us rest for today and hope for perfect rest for the future. That Greek word that I can't pronounce because it's just gone from my mind means a, li a lived resting in the goodness of God. A life lived resting in the goodness of God. God provides that for us, not on our strength. He provides that rest in Jesus' life and death on the cross. He provides that rest when Jesus walks out of the grave and our sin is permanently dealt with. Forgiveness is given and we can experience a peace. A 
peace that comes over us and allows us to rest. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean we still won't have those weeks. But it does mean we're not left alone. And that that rest is secured and guaranteed in the purpose of Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as we accept this journey of faith, and we understand there's an invitation to rest, we see that this rest that Jesus gives can change our lives forever, but there's one last invitation, an invitation to examination. And what do I mean by that? Take a look at Hebrews 4.11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This text just doesn't get easier. Keep waiting for it to get a little easier. But it seems like the author's making a joke. We must strive to rest. Wait, aren't those opposites? When I'm striving, I'm not resting. And when I'm resting, I'm normally drooling. I'm not, sl- not striving, right? Like how do, we, how do we put that together? And it seems like such opposite or such contrast to the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, when he says, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give is light. That doesn't sound like striving. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. Do I have to strive to receive a gift? Or is that freely given? He continues, salvation is not a reward of the good things we have done, so none of you can boast about it. Strive to rest. I think James gives us a little bit of insight into what he's saying. He says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Let me try to help you understand this with a picture. Last Monday was Valentine's Day. Husbands, if you missed it and your wife has been a little cranky all week, that's why Valentine's Day was last Monday. I'm sorry we forgot to warn you last week. Corey and I went out for dessert on Valentine's Day. I didn't take Corey out for dessert so that she would love me. I mean, it was really good dessert, but that's not why we went out. I didn't say, hey, I'm going to take you out to dessert, and I hope at the end of the night, you'll tell me you love me. I wasn't trying to earn her love. I didn't take Corey out for Valentine's Day, because this is about as romantic as it gets. Hey, it's Valentine's Day, so I have to do this, right? It's the one day a year we have to be nice to each other, so I'll take you out for dessert. It'll be nice. If we're going to experience the rest that Jesus offers... We accept that rest. And the things we do are fruit of the rest that he has given to us. 
So when I took Corey out for Valentine's Day for dessert, it was to say, I'm so glad I get to love you. And I'm so thankful that you love me. So you see, when we enter God's rest, we begin to examine, and that striving becomes a striving to show God how thankful we are for what he's done for us, how grateful we are for what he's done for us. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not trying to earn my way into heaven. I'm not trying to earn my way into that rest. But I'm bearing fruit of the rest that he's already provided. I'm bearing the love and the peace and the joy and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control. Those things come as the fruit of the rest that I've already been given. And the author of Hebrews says, and every time you open up the Bible, every time you hear it preached, Understand that word is living and active. It's like the brightest flashlight you've ever seen if we'll give it an opportunity to examine our lives. Say, God, how am I doing? I'm on this journey. I'm in this hike. And I'm trying to follow. Have you ever been on that trail? You know, the one where there's like, you're on the trail and it's clearly the trail, but then there's this little side path. Is that the trail? Is this the trail? I'm going to go this way. And you get 10, 15, 20, two miles down. And you realize this is not the trail, right? Every time we hear God's word preached, it's an opportunity to come back and say, Am I on the trail? Am I where God's asked me to be? Am I loving because of the love I've received? It's a chance for us to examine our lives. You see, because Jesus offers rest that will change our lives forever. It's a rest with an invitation to embark on a lifelong journey of faith. <clears throat> to learn to rest and to evaluate each step we take. And so this morning, that's how I want to close out our time. I want to give you a chance to just have a conversation with a God who loves you. Maybe you've never done that before, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is about to get awkward. I promise it's not. You can just bow your head, close your eyes. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you got some stuff to talk to God about. You're like, hey, you know what? I haven't really experienced that peace because I know I got some stuff in my life that I should have been doing, but I'm not. I know I haven't been loving my neighbor the way I should or the way that you love me. So God, we need to talk about that. Maybe you should bow your head to close and be like, God, I need that rest. I'm exhausted. I know what it feels like to be the Israelites in the desert because I'm tired. Because God, I've been trying to earn it. And I need your rest to fill me up. And if you're here in the first time you've ever been here and you're like, I'm just trying to figure out who this Jesus is, I wanna invite you to ask him to provide the rest you need. So let's close our eyes. Let's just pray. It's just a conversation there's no fancy words. There's no fancy formula. You talk to God about whatever you need to talk to God about. 
And in just a few minutes, I'll close this up. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the invitation to come on this journey. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who paved the way, who invites us to come and journey alongside of him. God, thank you for the rest that he provides for our spirit and our being through his life and death on the cross. God, I pray that you'd teach us how to experience that rest every day. God, I pray that you would help us to see the need to stop and examine every once in a while. But God, that most of all, as we go about living our everyday lives, at work and school, in our neighborhood and in our communities, that God, we would feel your rest. We would know that in the middle of all this, we don't have to match up to what everybody else says because we are loved by our Heavenly Father who calls us his sons and daughters and will never stop loving us. God, for those of us who call ourselves followers of you, help us see how we can show that love to those around us this week. And God, for those who are here today and are just seeking that rest, I pray that they'd find it. I pray, God, they'd find it in you, the source of all true rest. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.